So this summer, we are in a sermon series that we're calling The Stories We Tell. We are looking at uh, some of the great Old Testament uh, stories. Sometimes we call them Sunday school stories because there are these, these uh, great, um, great stories that uh, we often tell our kids. And um, as we were planning this out and the idea came to us for this series, we got to thinking how uh, for, for many of us, Sunday school is uh, uh, quite a ways removed and uh, in terms of years. Um, and, and, uh, and, and we don't often talk about these stories uh, in this room, um, like this morning's story of Daniel in the lion's den. And, um, and so we wanted to see, to tell these stories in an engaging way, but to also help us understand how these stories contribute to the really big story of the Bible. That we, we actually think that a, a great way to read the Bible, to read God's word to us, is to read it as, as this great story that's unfolding. And that you and I actually find a place in that story. And so uh, this morning we are uh, going to talk about Daniel and Daniel in the lion's den. And so if you have a copy of the Bible and there's red ones in the pew rack in front of you, if you didn't bring your own or you can pull out, have it on your phone if you like to. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to spend this morning in Daniel chapter 6. So Daniel, the book, is uh, known as one of the major prophets. So Daniel is seen as a prophet, though he wasn't a full-time prophet. He uh, had a day job. And we'll, we'll see that uh, this morning. And so Daniel takes place. Uh, Daniel's an Israelite. He's a Jew. So he's one of God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And he's living in the time when God's people, when the Israelites were taken as captive, they were taken into captivity by a foreign superpower. That because of God's people, their disobedience, because they started to worship idols, because they uh, began to love other things other than the one true living God, that God allowed the empire of Babylon to come and to ransack the nation of Israel, the, the, uh, the, low, the southern kingdom, the, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And they, they ransacked the city of Jerusalem. And so this monstrosity of an empire, Babylon, led by its king, King Nebuchadnezzar, came and they, and they just laid waste to the entire nation, to the entire kingdom. And what they did is they took some of the best and the brightest young uh, people and they led them into Babylon to uh, educate them in the ways of Babylon, in the culture of Babylon, so that the best and the brightest of Israel, so that Babylon could be blessed or helped by the, the talent, the intelligence, the wisdom, the strength of the best and the brightest of those that they led into captivity. And Daniel was one of those. And so, um, as you in the earlier parts of, of Daniel, we read how Daniel actually rose to prominence in that government, that in this uh, monstrosity of an empire, the greatest empire in the world at the time, uh, controlling much of the known world, Daniel rose in power so that he actually was elevated to the position of prime minister. And so he had a lot of power. He was prominent. And yet he remained faithful to God. But as chapter 5 moves into chapter 6, what we see is that it's no longer the Babylonian Empire that's in charge. It's now the Medo-Persian Empire. You might remember the story of the writing on the wall. 
and that a hand appears and the, and the Babylonian king can't understand what that hand is writing on the wall and Daniel interprets it. And it's actually meaning that God's message to them that, that God's going to overthrow the Babylonian empire and a new empire comes and, and takes over. It's the, media, the, the empire of the Medes and Persians, the Medo-Persian empire. And as we open chapter 6, Daniel is still in a prominent position in a new empire. That there's uh, new people in power, another, uh, another empire has risen, and yet Daniel is still God's man for God's time to lead his people and to speak to his people. Which really leads us to a key theme of the entire book of Daniel. And the key theme, one of the key themes of Daniel is that empires come and empires go, but they are almost inconsequential to God's plan and God's purposes in this world. They are not as significant as a few godly men and women. Empires come and empires go, but they are not as significant to God's purposes as a few godly men and women. As a few people who would follow after God. And, and I think that's a good word for us here as we live in Canada today. That uh, some of us, you know, want to get involved and want to change our nation through political reforms and through signing petitions and doing all that. Empires come and empires go. Our call is to be godly men and women. Following after Jesus day by day. Day in and day out. Isaiah chapter 40, God says through his his prophet Isaiah, he says the nations are like a drop in the bucket. The nations are like nothing before me. The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. And behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All the nations are nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. See, God is great and he is not beholden to governments. He's not beholden to uh, empires, to the superpowers of the day. His kingdom is not of this world. The empires are almost inconsequential, but the people of God transcend them. God's work through his people goes on, and that ought to encourage us as we live in our day, in our age. And so Daniel, as we open chapter 6, is um, rising to prominence in a new empire. But he remains in exile, which is the other key theme of Daniel's book, that, that, that he remained in exile. And so too do we. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We belong to an eternal kingdom. And so here on this world, we are exiles. We're foreigners. We're strangers. We're different. We don't quite fit in. And so then how should we live as believers in the one true living God? How do we live in a society which is pluralistic? Which means, how do we live in a, in a place where we think that uh, any way to follow God is equally good? That there are many gods. There are many moralities. There's, it's all up to you. You just find your own way. How then do we live? Well, let's pick up the story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. And I want us to note here Daniel's character. Daniel's character. It pleased Darius, so this is the new king of the Medo-Persian Empire. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So we see this. 
So this vast empire, he's got like 120 governors, and they each have like an area that they're ruling over, and they report to three guys, three administrators. Daniel's one of those three. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so Daniel is one of three administrators overseeing 120 governors, satraps. So he's one of the three. And and Daniel so sets himself apart as being having exceptional qualities that the king is going to promote Daniel above those other two. He's going to make him top dog right under the king, right under Darius. So note Daniel's character. He's continual. He's consistent. He's steadfast. Sometimes, you know, every uh, kid's, kid's Bible that has a picture of Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's this strong young man. Daniel's between 80 and 90 years old here. He's, a, he's an old guy. He's one of the old guys. He has been consistent and he's been faithful. And that um, words there that d- describe his uh, exceptional qualities refer to his attitude, that he has passion that he has zeal, that he's like, he's got enthusiasm, he's positive, he's got a great attitude. He wants to get things done, he wants to move things forward, he's got, he's got some vim and some vigor. He's got a great attitude, he's got a hard work ethic, he's got, he wants some things to do. He's not, he's not become cynical in his old age, he's not become, um, he, he's not lost his positivity and lost his optimism. He wants, he's, he's working hard and he's cheering people on. He's an encourager. He's got this great attitude, but he's also got great experience. He's got a track record. He's done it for the long haul. He's been working. He's been faithful for many, many years. You know, a lot of... It's, it's hard to find both of those qualities in the same person, right? It's rare. You know, often when we're young, we're like going to be world changers. We're going to get things done. And we've got, um, we've got enthusiasm and we've got, we've got motivation and we're, we're got a great attitude. We got passion, but we have no experience, no experience. And that passion sometimes can last for a week or a month or a couple of years. And when things get hard, we move on or we give up. And too often, so often, those with lots of experience have become pessimistic and cynical. Woe is me. Nothing will ever change. And so if you're young here, keep at it. Show up. Remain passionate. As you gain experience. And if you're older among us, I urge us not to lose our optimism. Not to lose our, our passion to see things change. See, Daniel here is really um, following the advice or the instructions from Jeremiah chapter 29. Jer- the prophet Jeremiah wrote, uh, is, a, is a prophecy that was written to the people in exile to the people like Daniel who are living in exile as God's people. And Jeremiah 29 includes like a letter of instruction as to how they're to live in that, in that, uh, as exiles, as strangers. 
And it's, it's, it's a fascinating read. I encourage you to do that. I'm not going to read that right now. But what Jeremiah 29 says is, um, it says things like, build houses, get married, have a family. It says, in fact, it says, pray for the peace of the city into which I've sent you exile. That peace isn't just like freedom, for, or like no war, but flourishing. Pray for the prosperity of the city into which you're exiles. Work for... The, the good of the culture. For in its prosperity, you will find your prosperity. So work, be involved in the community in which, I've, uh, in which you are living, in which you're exiles. But don't lose your identity as the people of God. Don't become just like them. Be so involved and seek its good, the good of the community around us. But don't lose your identity. Don't lose your distinctiveness. You're still my people. You're still separate. And so often, we, we as God's people often go one or the other way, right? We either become just like the world around us and, and lose our distinctiveness, or we retreat and form little Christian bubbles and really don't, don't get outside and don't interact, don't become involved with the community around us. Daniel is working for a pagan king and is serving this king so well is is promoting the king's interest so well that the king wants to make him the top dog in the government wants to make him the highest place of authority he's so involved he's so blessing others and and seeking the flourishing of the community around that the pagan king is saying daniel you're the best. You are adding so much to my kingdom. You are creating, causing the flourishing of this community, of this kingdom. And yet Daniel, as we'll see, remains distinct. He remains in exile. He remains committed to Israel's God, to the one true living God, and doesn't become like those around him. Great example for us. So let's see Daniel's opposition that rises against him here as the story unfolds. Verse 4, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried, I can't say that word well, satraps. Everyone say it twice, satraps, satraps. Tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so Daniel has this exceptional qualities, right? This attitude, this experience, this faithfulness, and that brings to opposition. It brings jealousy and envy from those other governors, from those other satraps, from the other administrators. And so they're trying to dig up dirt on him. You see, they are assuming that Daniel's just like them, that he's corrupt, that he's uh, taking kickbacks, that he's uh, taking bribes, that sometimes uh, he'll take money for favors and positive reviews or positive judgments, and they can find nothing, and he's neglecting nothing. He's not corrupt, and he's diligent. He's done his work well. They, can, they find nothing on him. And so they say, you know, the only thing, the only thing that we can say about Daniel that, uh, it, is that he's really super committed to his God. 
And so if we're going to have to, if we're going to take Daniel out, it's going to have to be because he's so committed to God. So we're going to challenge him to go against his God. Can you identify with jealousy? Envy? You see someone rising in prominence or prosperity? Position? Their life is going the way you want your life to go? Why don't you just hate people like that? You want to take them out. You want to find something wrong. You want to, you want to find the dirt on them. I know there must be something wrong with them. Their life looks so great. They look like such a great person. There must be something wrong with them. And if, some, if you can find something, would you rejoice in that? Oh, I knew it. I knew they weren't all that they said they were. So they set a trap. For Daniel. Verse 6. The administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So Darius has an ego. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Everyone can't, no one can pray to anyone except me for the next month. He's got the ego and that ego leads to a great negative effect. On other people. Now, obviously, these satraps, governors, uh, counselors have lied. Daniel would not have agreed to this uh, decree, to this advice to the king. They said that they all agreed, but that's obviously an, that's a lie. So they set a trap for Daniel. Will Daniel continue to pray to his God? Can we catch Daniel praying? Or will he give in? Or will he give in to the law of the king, of his boss, the one who has ultimate authority in that kingdom. And as they point out here, the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. That once the king sets the law, makes the law, it cannot be pulled back. It's unchangeable. So let's see what Daniel does. Chapter or Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, so when he heard it, He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who praised any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. 
Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king has issued can be changed. So notice Daniel's faithfulness here. Notice his bravery, his courage. He's good to his boss, but when pressed, he showed where his ultimate allegiance lay. He's prayed in the same place for 60 or 70 years. You say, well, why, why do you keep the windows open? Isn't that a little foolish? Couldn't he have, couldn't wisdom have said, just be more discreet? Just be quiet about it. Just close the windows. Just pray in private so that others don't see you. You see, it wasn't in Daniel's character to compromise. It wasn't in his character to compromise. It reminds me of um, a man named Polycarp. Polycarp is a second-generation Christian. He is a disciple of the Apostle John. So John was first-generation. He, he knew Jesus. And, uh, and then John made a disciple named Polycarp. And Polycarp served Jesus as a bishop of Smyrna for many, many years. And he was arrested for refusing to worship Caesar to acknowledge Caesar as God, to worship him, and to give ultimate allegiance to Caesar, the Roman Empire, emperor. Same situation as Daniel. Refused to pray and worship the king. And, and Polycarp is brought before the judge, and, and, and the judge says, Swear the oath, and I'll release you. As Pledge allegiance to Caesar, and worship him, and I'll release you. Revile the Christ. And Polycarp famously says, 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp says, for many, many years, for 86 years, I've been following Jesus, and Jesus has been my king and my Lord, and he's been good to me. He has done me no wrong. How could I, how could I turn my back on Jesus now? Why would I do that? Polycarp gave his life on the stakes. He was burned alive. Verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Great question here. How does Darius know that Daniel's God could save him? How does Darius know that Daniel's God could rescue him, could deliver him? Could it be that Daniel has told him stories of how God loves to deliver his people? How God loves to rescue, that he's, his God is a rescuing God. Let's continue on. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn. Oh, sorry, verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? 
Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Key point of this whole passage is that question that King Darius asks in verse 20. Was your God able to rescue you? Is your God able to rescue? Can your God deliver you? Can he save you? Here's the truth. He's able, but he doesn't always. He's able, but he doesn't always save us along the way. Polycarp was brought and they're about to tie him to the stake with the ropes and he says the ropes won't be necessary and he gave his life the most important question is not whether god will deliver and will rescue you out of danger the most important question for us is will we still do his will he can rescue but will we still choose the lion's den Another way of asking that question, is the story only good because Daniel walked out? Is it only a good story because Daniel was saved and rescued? If you turn to the left in your Bible, a couple of chapters, Daniel chapter 3, we see his, his three buddies that he grew up with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What does VeggieTales call them? Shad, Mac, and Benny or something like that? And if that's the only way you know this story, I'm sorry. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down to an image to worship of King Nebuchadnezzar. Or else they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace, burned alive. And the king says, just bow the knee, you're going to die. I'll give you another chance. I'm going to play the music again, and this time, would you bow down, please? Look at what they say in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He's able to rescue us. He's able to deliver us. He can save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, he will deliver us from your hand, ultimately. And we're not bowing down. He's able, but he may not. Either way, we choose the furnace. Either way, we choose the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6 ends with this great declaration. It ends with judgment on those satraps and their families who tried to trap Daniel, to kill Daniel. 
King Darius, verse 25, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, may you great, prosper greatly. I you issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he, is, he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. It's a great declaration. God gets the glory. So let's wrap this up. Daniel is the hero of this story, right? What a hero. What bravery, what faithfulness, what courage, what allegiance to God, how faithful he was to God, how great he was at his work. What a hero of the story. Great attitude, great experience, allegiance to God, faith in God. Do you identify with him? Many of us were brought up in the Sunday school story and were said, dare to be a Daniel. Be courageous. Be faithful to God no matter what. And then he'll save you. And certainly the call is a high one for us. We want to be courageous like Daniel. We want to be faithful to God like Daniel. But where do you find the strength? Where do you find the resources to become like Daniel? Because too often I am like the satraps. Envious, jealous. Too often I'm like Darius, arrogant and proud. And too often I'm not like Daniel. Courageous and bold. I'm more scared and wimpy. Is there hope for envious, jealous, arrogant, proud, wimpy people like me in this story? Is there hope? Is there good news for us in this story? Or do I have to find within, look deep within, and dare to be a Daniel? Work hard, be great, be blameless. Be bold and courageous. How can we become like Daniel? Daniel's the hero of this story. But the hero of this story, of the whole story, is Jesus, right? The The hero of the story is Jesus. And the last thing I want us to notice about Daniel is his silence. I want us to note the silence of Daniel. Maybe you've never noticed that. It kind of bugged me when I noticed it. Verse 16. Look at verse 16 to 17. The king gave the order. They brought Daniel, threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God rescue you. Stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of his nobles. king returned to his palace. Daniel says nothing. Daniel's from the time of his arrest to the time of the accusations until being thrown in the pit says nothing he's silent before his accusers he's arrested while praying which reminds us of Jesus who was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shears was dumb and he opened not his mouth But Jesus did not speak up in his own defense, was arrested while praying, 
and Jesus chose the lions. And Jesus was thrown in a pit like Daniel, and a stone was rolled over the pit like Daniel. And after Jesus shut the lion's mouths, he came out, and he walked out. You see, Jesus was thrown into the pit, and Jesus faced the lions, the ultimate lions for you and I, because we're jealous and envious and arrogant and proud and wimpy and scared, not faithful and not awesome, and not the heroes of our own story. But he faced our lions for us. So is your God able to rescue you? Yes, you see, your God is able to rescue you through the greatest of all lion tamers. And so we, if you have the status as the son or the daughter of God, you don't have to be jealous of the success and the prosperity of others. When you realize that you've done nothing to accomplish your own salvation and your own rescue, you won't be arrogant and proud. And when you know that you don't need to be on the good side of others, that God is for me, so who can be against me? That gives a new bravery and a new resource for courage, a new resource to be like Daniel. But it's only through faith in Jesus. See, Jesus is the hero of the story. You're not the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. There's a greater, there's a truer, there's a better Daniel who faced the lions for us and tamed them, shut their mouths and walked out for us. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we want to we praise the great lion tamer, Jesus. We thank you for this great story and for the, the example that Daniel is to us, but also how he points to Jesus. Lord, so often and throughout this story, we've probably been, it's been revealed to us that we're not like Daniel. We're, we don't dare to be like Daniel. We're so often timid and scared and wimpy and envious and proud. And so we look again to Jesus, who died for our sin and rose again, who walked out, having conquered the devil, who is a roaring lion. And having conquered death, and having conquered our alienation from you, so that we can be brought into your kingdom of light. So give us faith in Jesus today, so that we would become more like Daniel, that we become more like Jesus. So do that kind of work in us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.